0: Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Back when I was a child, when my father came home from work, he'd strip off his suit and tie, put on his grubby clothes, and go out into the backyard gardens grumpy, irritable. He would take a hoe and he would begin to go at the red Georgia clay. He'd get his hands dirty. He'd yell at me to get the water hose to bring it up. He'd go to the shed. He'd, he'd get and till the ground. He'd work and work. Watching my father, I knew that he enjoyed gardening, but I also would come to learn that he was working out his midlife angst in the dirt, something that a six- and seven-year-old child could not understand. He'd bark at me, come on, Jeffrey, help me in the garden, and I'd protest. I didn't want to do what he was doing. It looked terrible. He seemed miserable, and I didn't want to do it. And he'd say, come on, Jeffrey, you'll be fine once you start sweating. (laughs) Dad was a skilled farmer and gardener, having grown up on the farm himself in western North Carolina, and he most always had a bumper crop. And when he got a harvest, whether it was beans or tomatoes, or okra, or even peanuts, one of the first things that he did was give it away. Y'all know this practice yourself. It's deeply southern. It's in our DNA. But there was also a kind of pride that he took in, in showing off about what he was able to do with the soil and the ground that he had found himself on. Heckfire, I remember, he'd even bring back dirt from Yancey County with the night crawlers and dump it in the gardens there to help transform it so that the soil would produce, and it did. And he loved to give away what had been given to him. That stuck with me. And I see it echoed in your own generosity When your gardens come into full bloom. Today's passage is about farming and about what you do with the produce. The direction is pretty clear, even though there's a good bit of history and remembrance in the passage. The direction is that you are to take the first fruits from your crops, put it in a basket, and give it to God. Giving it to God in their context meant bringing it to the priest who was at the tabernacle. That's where God's presence resided. The produce was worth something. So by first things and by first fruits, we're talking about taking that which the land had produced first and right out of the gate. The fruits of their work Represented their offering to God. Although I'm not a gardener or a farmer, this image is beautiful and rich. It's also helpful to remember that God's people at this time didn't do gardening as an extracurricular activity. This is not what they did to work out their work frustrations during their day jobs. No, this was about survival. What the people grew was exceptionally valuable to them. It was their currency. This is how they would provide for themselves and for their children. But even so, these people were directed to give their first fruits back to the one who had given it to them in the first place. To sacrifice something means to give something up for a greater purpose. I think it's a bit of a lost concept, honestly. Now, I'll grant you that sacrifice is something that we're very familiar with as we sacrifice for our children or maybe even our grandchildren. But have you noticed that our ability to go beyond that sphere of influence has diminished over the years? I have. In fact, in our context, sacrifice sounds foolish. The idea that you would give something away that's valuable, it it seems as though the act of giving up something that is clearly in your best interest sounds like a bad idea that will end in ruin We have lost an appreciation for sacrifice. Fact, throughout human history, people have been driven by survival. That is, trying to survive. This is difficult for us to grasp because many of us have been born into privilege. We don't have to worry Or be concerned about the things that overwhelmingly throughout human history people have had to worry about and be concerned about. To survive, humans have had to have access to clean water and enough food for themselves and for their families. And when these two ingredients are not there, there's strife, there's movement in terms of people, there's crisis. And in fact, for those of us that remember our Sunday school lessons from from age-old times gone by, we remember that much of the Bible is about famine and feast and about being relocated. We take these things for granted. It means nothing to us to go down to the store and get what we need or to order what we need online. I don't think we should feel guilty for this, but I do think for us to understand this passage and what it meant, we've got to appreciate that our reality is radically different from the context of this story and so many others in human history and in our world today. God's people had just come out of the wilderness. And when the wilderness looks good, You know that it had been bad for a long time in Egypt. but Yet God had provided for them. And finally, having crossed over the River Jordan, they find themselves in a new land, a land that was much desired by many different people groups. They are there now, and they are able to provide for themselves. And what does God want them to do? To give their first and most valuable crops to God as an offering? And they did so joyfully? This sounds like fiction, y'all. I suspect that in your lifetime, you've heard how some Christians have suggested that we give money to God so that we can receive more in life. It has a catchy name. It's called the Prosperity Gospel, turn on the TV or go to YouTube, a lot of eyeballs are drawn to a message or a rendering that if we but give our time, energy, attention, or resources to God, God will give us back. It's it's like going to a divine bank. Make a bit of a deposit and look at the yield we will receive. I think this idea is, is worthy of some consideration. Perhaps we should give our first fruits to God so that the result will be that we get more. A man got lost in the desert. He had a backpack, but he quickly exhausted his supply of water. He was about to pass out. He was in real trouble. And yet on the horizon, he saw a bit of a shed. He made it there, and upon opening it up, he saw a glass of water next to a water pump. He grabbed it quickly, and just as he was about to drink it, he saw a note, it grabbed his attention, and it said, wait! Before drinking this water, if you will but pour it into the well... You will prime the pump and you will have all the water that you need. The man stood there, hand shaking. The water was right there. And he was being invited to to pour it down an empty well to prime it to get more. What would you choose? Of course, the man takes a risk. He pours it in, unbelieving what he's doing himself. And he begins to pump it. At first, nothing happens, but then water begins to come up. More than he could ever want. And he he drinks it up. He fills up his containers. He's able to find his way out of the desert. (laughs) Y'all, we don't give to God so that we can get more. We don't give to God to prime the pump of his blessings. We give to God our first fruits because the fruit was never ours to begin with. We return a portion of what God has given to us because it shows how grateful that we are that God gave it to us in the first place. Remember, the story tells us, when you've come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. Y'all, we didn't create the land. We're not responsible for the richness of the soil. We didn't make the sun, and we didn't call down the rain. All of it is gift. As I pointed out earlier, we are a people that remembers. Jesus calls us to remember. I mean, think about it. Of all the different things that we could have etched into wood... To get our attention every Sunday at every moment that we're in here, we did this one. This do in remembrance of me. We are a people called to remember. And why? Well, it's not a new practice. God's people, Christ's people, routinely remembered. The practice of the Passover observance was a ritual that the Hebrew people did to recall the story of God's people as being chosen, rescued, cared for. Of course, Jesus provides a way for us to remember him in bread and in a cup. In our passage today, if you look closely, you'll see where the people make they're offering while also recounting a particular story. It's the story of deliverance of a wandering Aramean, that is Jacob, and how, and Joseph, and, and how they went down to, into Egypt, how they lived there, how they struggled and were oppressed, and how God rescued them from the oppression of the Egyptians About how God raised them up with a mighty hand and display of a force and took them to a place, literally a land flowing with milk and honey. In the middle of this passage, sandwiched between the clear direction to give to God what God had first given them, is this testimony of what God had done for his people And I like how in this remembrance, this testimony, that they are invited to be honest about their hardships, about how difficult their time had been. And yet at the same time, in acknowledging the hardships, they also link it to how God had delivered them. This acts as a beautiful template for us in our times of remembrance, whether it's around the the tables that we eat our meals with our families or on a road trip as we talk about where we've been in our world and in our lives to where God is taking us next. This is a beautiful template about acknowledging that life is hard and yet God provides far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. For God's blessing and love and grace to us is gift. Doing this, offering this testimony, this remembrance, y'all, it generates gratitude and thanksgiving and ultimately generosity. What is your testimony of God's faithfulness? Who would be the key players in your own story of deliverance? What would be the circumstances that you would lift up I do think that the image of harvesting is helpful, especially for those of us who are still working the land, so to speak. What are you harvesting? Seriously, what are you harvesting? What are you working for and toward? What are the fruits you're cultivating I'll tell you this, if it's not worthy what you're doing to give to God, perhaps you should change crops. Some of y'all are familiar with the writer David Brooks. He writes for the New York Times, a columnist, and he had an article titled, The Structure of Gratitude. And he talks about how gratitude is frequently connected to expectations. He says that he oftentimes is grumpier when he stays at a nice hotel (laughs) because he has very high expectations for the kind of care that he's supposed to be entitled to. And yet, he reflects that when he goes to these luxurious hotels, he's irritable because what he's expecting is not delivered or not Delivered in a way that he would appreciate. And yet, he acknowledges that he's frequently happier when he goes to a a budget motel where his expectations are low. And so a working iron is a gift. The, The waffles that they offer at the continental breakfast is is a great way to start the day. The fact that the the, the coffee pot is there in his room is, is something that just makes him smile. He says, expectations structure our experience and ultimately our gratitude. He says, gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations. When it's undeserved, Gratitude, he says, is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. So here's the truth of the matter, y'all. We are owed nothing in this world. Nothing. Everything you have is gift. Everything you have is gift. Once we recognize this, once we internalize this, our lives and the quality of our lives and the lives of others that we touch will dramatically increase. Once we recognize that everything we experience and touch and taste in this world is gift, we will be that much better at sharing our gifts with others. When we share our first fruits to God, we give a tithe. That is a tenth of what we've been given to the work that God does through the church. It's our way of seeing God's blessing to us extend to the work God is doing in our community, in our ministries, in our presence regionally and globally. If you have never given a gift of your resources to God, recognize this moment as an act of of celebrating God's good work in your life. You'll notice beginning in verse 10 that once you give the offering, the next thing you're supposed to do is have a feast. It's to share with those in your life and the resident aliens, that's the outsiders that shouldn't be in your land. You are to party with them and to celebrate all the bounty that the Lord your God is giving to you and to your house Y'all remember this, when you give your gift, keep in mind that you can always give more. We can all afford to give God what already belongs to him. When we give God what he first gave us, we're inviting God to our feast, and God loves a good party. Just ask Jesus at a wedding. Some of us sweat giving God a gift of our hard-earned cash. (laughs) And that's okay. As my dad used to say, we'll be fine. We just got to start sweating. Let's pray. God, you found us in the wilderness where we worshiped ourselves and our own wants and desires. You found us, you met us, you rescued us. You translated the Bible to us through the love of others, family members, friends, things that sound and seemed serendipitous but are providential. God, you rescued us and provided for us. You set us in a place where we were loved, where we were called, where you gave us the opportunity to grow a crop. But God, for some of us, what we are growing is not worthy of an offering to you. So convict us to find something else to farm. And for those of us that find our life's work in a place that is rich with nutrients, and dark soil where good things can grow. God, we pray that you might receive from us a gift returning to you what you first gave to us. Help us know, God, that the first thing that you want from us is an acknowledgement of how good you are to us. And allow that, God, to shape our experience in this world. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.